All right, following up on the uh, definitional program, we looked at capitalism last time, had some interesting response on that. I think I'll do a follow-up on capitalism to address, uh, address some of the good questions that came in and sort of a, you know look at some of the surrounding concepts. But today, I want to look at feminism. So I think this, you know, obviously a uh, vexed topic in some social settings, but generally speaking, this is not that complicated of an issue at its core. And again, this is the power of sort of looking at things from a definitional standpoint. It allows you to get to some core issues that are pretty easy to get your mind around. And then if you work out from those, you can, you know, explore the depths and the complexity. But at its central core, feminism is neither confusing nor controversial. Um, and so I think the key issue here to look at is simply the history of civilization. And this is not just Western civilization. This is civilizations in general. Women have been treated, you know, I think the best way to think about it is as subhuman or partially human. So the tradition in civilizations has been to take men as the standard. And because, <clears throat> excuse me, because women aren't men, therefore they are somehow, they're deviating from the norm. And the norm is, of course, established as men. Therefore, they're lesser beings. Uh, generally, again, if you look at the legal structure or the social structures, or the combinations of those linguistic structures, the consensus is that, yeah, women not really people, or if they are people, they're just barely people, right? So it's that incredibly deep-seated multi-millennium, you know, this thousands-of-year tradition of treating women as if they are not <clears throat> actually human. So, of course, there's been, you know, various pushbacks against this. You can look in history, you know, Epicurus famously allowed women in his garden where they studied philosophy, and this made people very suspicious of him. Uh, there's been other moments in other cultures, but generally speaking, but you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, the working assumption has been that women just aren't human. So, you know, pick a date and time when this starts to, you know, switch and pick a location. But, you know, if you think around, you know, mid 1750s to 1800, you start getting the growth of an educated class of women who have the resources and the opportunity to begin saying, hey, you know what? We think we might actually be people, and we deserve to be treated as people, and we want to start redressing these issues. So feminism is, is broadly conceived of as the attempt to think about, uh, redress, uh, you know, um, understand the sort of cultural implications of being taking women and treating them as if, they're, uh, you know, subhuman, not equal citizens of your country. By the way, this is why voting rights are so important. When you can vote, you really count as a citizen. And it's only about 100 years ago in the United States that women actually finally were able to get the right to vote. They fought for the right. They won the right to vote. And that, when you, you know, when you think of the long arc of history, women have only been full citizens in, in many instances in many countries for an incredibly short period of time. And of course, today, inequality still, you know, reigns in much of the world, dramatic inequality. The, the traditional structures still exist. China, you know, is working hard in legal ways, but, you know, cultural is still a struggle. And basically everywhere there's still a struggle, but we're a lot farther along than we used to be. And this is sort of the core essence of feminism. So really not complicated or even controversial because you can't look at world history and go, oh, no, Women have been treated equally because it's just nonsense. There, I mean, there's just zero evidence of that. 
And, you know, the, the attempt to redress it, what do you call that? You need a name for that, so let's call it feminism. Why not? Okay, so central core issue is very simple. Ah, at this point, it gets wildly more complicated, and I think this is where some of the issues arise. Now, how you decide to redress this, because it is so deeply seated in the historical, cultural, linguistic, legal, political, family, and every struggle, religious, you know, you name the cultural, social structure, this, you know, maltreatment of women is just deep in it. I mean, it's go, we'll have traditions that go way, way back. And so to redress these issues is not simple. There is no like, oh, we'll do this. Women get the right to vote. Everything will be fine. I mean, women, you know, the right to vote, yes, but that doesn't make everything fine, uh, if only. So you have many, many feminisms, right? There's many within this broad definition of what feminism is, attempt to redress or understand or study or reflect on or rethink the, the structures of society that have, have given us this heritage, you know, yeah, take your pick. I mean, there truly are just dozens, if not hundreds of different approaches. And that complexity, I think, is where people really get frustrated and they get upset because they want to say, this is feminism and that's not, or this is bad and this is good. And that sort of endless desire to try and oversimplify and put things in little neat boxes of course, is, you know, damages your ability to understand or think about the world. Um, and so for people who want to aggress against feminism, right, they say, oh, well, this idea here, if someone says, you know, so, you know, particular, I don't know, controversial, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. So for instance, like people, the gender movement who says, okay, look, there is no such thing as gender. We'll just take that as a position. It's, you know, that's grossly oversimplified. Well, somebody who does not like feminism can look at that and say, okay, well, feminism says there is no such thing as gender. Therefore, I think feminism is silly, and I can just ignore the whole thing, right? So that's the sort of dismissive, uh, you know, oversimplification that allows people, or people use as a tool to attack things they don't like. And so again, that's where you come back to the definitional thing, and you can just say, hey, look, maybe maybe you don't agree about the gender issue, Let's, you can debate about that, but do you agree about this core definition? Do you think that women have had this historical problem? And do you think, what do you think is the best way to redress it? And that way that opens up at least the possibility for a conversation. Because they can say, oh yeah, I think this approach over here is silly, but why don't we do something like this? Ah, well now we're talking about a debate within the structure of, okay, okay, what is the best way to address this? Because there is no agreement about the best way because there's so many things that need to be done and there's so many ways to approach doing them that why would there be? Another, uh, another aspect of this, besides the oversimplification to avoid thinking, is also it's an oversimplification because I think this is actually tied to the notion of, oh, I want feminism to be one thing and I want feminists to be one thing because I want women to be one thing, which is, of course, goes all the way back to the old, <laughs> you know, this is, just, this is just the reappearance of the multi-thousand-year cultural structure. You know, hello, welcome back. You know, I want women to be one single thing like they used to be in the magical good past. Um, of course, this is absurd, but it is a common refrain. I think maybe the most common expression of that is to say, oh, you know, well, the difference between men and women is, you know, women, they have babies, right? They have babies, that's it. So women are those things that have babies. That makes everything else, like the entire cultural history, everything, you know, every possible linguistic and political 
disability somehow makes sense. Of course, it does not. It's totally absurd. If you think about it, if you think, think, stop for and think for a moment, women can have children, but they don't necessarily have to. So one, it really, you could say the capacity to have is perhaps defining, um, but you, many women do not have children, so it becomes less problematic. And even if a woman does have children, if you have, let's say, if you're a woman, you have two children, um, that act, you know, producing children, I mean, this takes maybe, if you live to be, say, 75, something like 3% of your life. 3% of your life would be being pregnant, um, having the child, and recovering from childbirth, right? So that would be, you know, 3%. So the other 97% of your life, you're doing something else, you know? <laughs> and so this is, to me, it always is just this crazy notion of taking those 3% and saying either the possibility, not, you don't have to actually do it, but the possibility you could have kids or the act that takes maybe 3% of your life. If you have two kids, if you have one kid, of course, less, if you have more kids, a little more, then yeah, blah, what a weird way uh, to define somebody. I mean, really, I and mean, clearly this is just a, an attempt to oversimplify and, and, and narrow it down. And so I sometimes think this, or often think that this desire to say, oh, this thing here is feminism and that person is a feminist and they represent this entire field is a way of saying, oh, women are one thing and therefore once we figure out <clears throat> that one thing, then we're done with this and we can dismiss feminism as being, you know, just this crazy thing from out there that we don't have to pay attention to rather than trying to engage with it. Now, where it gets more complicated, of course, is that there isn't one feminism that would get that. As we talk about, this would be absurd. There's, you know, multifaceted number and they, every possible range because, not surprisingly, the question, this, this uh, you know, historic um treating of women as second-class, third-class citizens or not even as people affects every possible part of society. And so, you know, you know, it's linguistic. Uh, the, the famous case in Japan where women aren't supposed to say certain things, they aren't supposed to address people certain ways. And so essentially it is impossible for them to talk like someone who's in charge to a man because they can't use that language to a man. I mean, it's actually grammatically incorrect. And so here's a language that grammatically disables women. I mean, think about that. That's incredibly powerful. So not surprising, a lot of um, women, like uh, scholars and researchers who are interested in language and these sorts of issues, want to look at language. They want to look at the linguistic issues surrounding how we use language, how that reinforces these sorts of stereotypes and biases and disables women. I mean, it's an interesting, real, complex, and subtle question because, of course, language is a totally vexed subject anyway. Um, and then you can take somebody like, oh, well, psycho psychology, right? So let's, let's look at this psychological issue surrounding this. So, you know, now you're just in the, okay, already we have psychology, that's a mire. Then you go in there and you say, okay, now let's, let's, let's roll this core feminist uh, outlook. Like, okay, how do we look at psychology and use those insights to address uh, the position women find themselves in, wow, now you've made a complex, subtle subject more complex and more subtle and difficult. Um, and so, you know, this is where people like, you know, it, speaking of language, right, where you get someone like Jacques Lacan, who takes sort of Freudian insights and mixes it with, you know, French, uh, you know, linguistic analysis. And then you get, you know, some of his female students or people who studied him, you know, come along, Chris Davis, Jisoo, they, they, they're like, oh, hey, 
let's apply these incredibly complex and subtle philosophical structures to understanding how this impacts women. And then there's a lot of feminists who think, well, that's just a bunch of nonsensical French, you know, post-structural garbage. We're interested in economic equality, right? Well, good, economics, there's no problem there. That's a clear field, you know, so, right? And then you're off and running, right? So you can have this expression of this core subject can come out in, in and should and does come out in any number of ways. And that's healthy and that's real and that's vibrant. It's artificial to say, oh, well, that one manifestation of it is feminism in total. And then, of course, what we want to do is an attack that one manifestation because for some reason we think it's an easy target, whoever's doing the attacking. And so this is why I think definitions are so helpful in getting clarity on our ideas is because we can go, oh, are you saying you dislike this one aspect of feminism, which is totally fine. Nobody likes all the aspects of feminism. But still, are you there with the core of it to say, hey, we've got to come up with ways to address this. And again, the simplest way to always do that is to say, right, you don't agree with that expression. How would you try to deal with the problem that these people are trying to deal with that you find that you don't like? So for instance, I'm always, I, I find it difficult, the whole attempt to change pronoun usage. And it's like, it's so, it muddles the language up. And this is really where my core struggle is, is that some things that you can express clearly become vague. And it seems like a key feature of language and always a struggle is trying to communicate clearly. And so I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm going to resist, you know, you know, uh, linguistic changes or language usages that try to muddy the water up. So I think more, most bureaucracy is so terrible because it just uses all this horrible language to obscure rather than to make clear. And so I find like when you change the, you know, his and hers to theirs or them, or it's like, oh, well, that's not really what was meant. Also, it creates a historical problem of most of our texts or, you know, pretty much all of our texts have been written in another standard. But this doesn't make the standard right, right? This is why it's such a vexed problem. You can see there's a language bias when, you know, if, if, the, if the sex of things is him or her, if it's always uh, defaults to the male, well, this is just simply linguistic bias, right? There's no, I don't know how you get around that. It's just what it is. And so I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I find that vexatious. And I like to talk to people about this because I think it's an interesting problem um, in language and how you express these issues and use references and pronouns. But that doesn't mean I have to agree with everybody about them. But we can talk as long as we agree that there is this core definition of feminism and that we agree about like sort of what the goal is. And we just disagree on what this moment, this detail, this aspect of it, what the best way might be to you know, redress it. That is a very different situation than someone who says, is using the attack on the single, you know, example of whatever feminism they dislike as a way of not having to address the whole. And this is another aspect that definition really helps with. Same thing with capitalism. So if I say, excuse me, that uh, I hate capitalism, let's take out feminism for a second, and I go, well, that's weird because capitalism is this huge, complex, you know, structure. And it's usually what they mean is they dislike a certain aspect of it. But if what they mean is just like, I don't want to think about economics at all. I think the world should be a, you know, Edenic paradise, pre-industrial. We all just, you know, eat plants that blossom on trees and you're just done. 
and we live full human lives that way, I'm, I'm like, well, I can't talk to that person, basically, because that's not very well informed about the entirety of human history and economic development and all this other subtle stuff. However, if they are really just like, oh, no, I think, you know, the transnational corporations' abuses of, you know, tax evasion to rip off countries, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great subject. Let's talk about that, right? That's, that's definitely, you, you can be opposed to that and not necessarily be opposed to capitalism, right? Those are, those are not the same thing. You're just labeling it that way, and that way we can communicate better. With feminism, if you find people who just say, oh, look, you know, this whole thing is silly because what they mean is that, you know, women should just shut up and be in their places and stop bothering us and messing things up. Well, you can't talk to that person, right? If that's their core, if that's their base, they're, they're, basically you don't want to spend your time reading them or you don't want to spend their time trying to understand them or trying to debate them because their mind is not open because they don't accept the core definition. To them, the definition of feminism is uh, women being stupid, right? Women misunderstanding their role and place in society. And so that definition doesn't function. <clears throat> and so one, this is, again, this is the power of, of being having clear definitions and making sure that you can kind of share definitions with people when you're communicating, is you can know if you're actually capable of communicating. Sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, particularly on vexatious subjects, religion, feminism, politics, uh, capitalism, you can't because many people have already made their minds up and about what they think they know and their minds are closed. On the other hand, it does open up real possibilities for exploring ideas when you realize like, hey, no, there's a core here that we can pretty much agree on. And then, then you're free to explore. Then you go, oh, yeah, well, we, we can we sort of agree on this core. Now we can explore the various manifestations, the various, various ideas. Where does it come from? You know, is the, what's, what's the best way, for instance? I mean, it's, it's one of these difficult, what's the best way to address the inequality in women's wages? It, you know, how, it, how systematic? There's no legal thing that says um, you have to pay women less. This has always been cultural, right? This is, a, this is one of those cultural expressions that's come out. It's just it was always assumed that it was okay to pay women less because, of course, women are three-quarters of a human being, right? That's the, you know, that deep cultural history. And that 100 years after we have the uh, voting rights in the United States, after we've had a booming economy, after we have women getting masses of education, after we have all the sort of positive role models in public and in the media and in corporations— the fact that women still earn whatever it is, 22 cents less. I mean, this is a huge, I mean, it's just like the gap is, it's just, it's unbelievable, basically. It's like, how can that have persisted for so long? And then, you know, you get all the egregious examples of, of people having exactly the same job, you know, a man and a woman. And then the, then the woman finds out that, well, the man's getting like 30% more, right? And this, if this happened once a year, it wouldn't be a problem. But this is a consistent pattern. And you know, all the research, I think, supports pretty strongly that this is a consistent pattern. And you go, but how do you do that? I mean, you can pass a law that says everybody has to be paid the same. That's not, that's, I mean, maybe that's a good start. But it's really, the problem with cultural things like this is that it's extraordinarily difficult to enforce as a law. So law might be a fine idea. But then it really questions, how do you get at the cultural roots of that? How do you convince people that, um, you know, the pay, there should be equitable pay? And part of it may simply be that this may be 
where, you know, like the capitalism and the feminism problem overlap, where people see an opportunity to exploit uh, certain people, in this case, women, to maximize profit, right? Because, oh, if I can pay a manager 20% less, my budget just looks good. So I'll promote a woman, but I'll give her less. And therefore, that's a win for, you know, my corporate division or my structure or my business where I am. And it's like, oh, so here's where like the sort of exploitative, you know, capitalist model meets the, the exploitative feminine, right? And, and it's like, so you're not trying to undo one thing there. You're trying to undo two sort of deep uh, cultural structures, although the feminist, the, the, the women's structure is very much deeper, of course, than the capitalist structure. Um, and so, you know, how do you redress that? I mean, a really difficult problem. Again, passing a law is a fine idea. It's just that laws often don't um, function that well. For instance, civil rights laws were passed, which is great. It just, of course, hasn't led to a perfect world of equality. So then the question becomes, you know, how do you then deal with this? So just a brief review then. I think this is the, uh, again, I'm, I think generally I'm just arguing for the power of and the utility of having a clear idea of the subject that's being discussed. Because so often when we're doing controversial subjects, we um, don't have a, either people don't have an operating definition, they just mean it's bad or it's good, which of course disables your thinking entirely, um, or they have uh, just a really narrow or tendentious definition that's unhelpful. And often I find when conversation with people, if we can kind of meet and go, oh, hey, how about this? Here's some shared ground. Then it really opens things up. Then explorations, ideas, and everything can flow. If we don't ever find that we have a shared ground, it tends to be sterile. No, nothing productive happens, and it's just, you know, a bunch of jargon going back and forth, and it's sort of useless and just not very life-affirming in general. So power of definition. And in this case, I think with uh, feminism, you can just think of it as an attempt to think or the attempts to think through these deep-seated cultural inheritances that have uh, put women um, in a subservient position in like so many subtle and not subtle ways. And, and then, you know, how do you think your way out of that? How do you get, how do you redress this? And that, if you think of that as the core of feminism, uh, and then everything else is growing out of that, I think it just makes it more interesting, easier to talk to people, and easier to understand the, the many wonderful, amazing, um, vexation, vexatious uh, complexities uh, that are there. So, feminism. Thank you.